Welcome to Terror Talk. Before we start the show today, I wanted to give you a heads up about our Patreon community. For as little as $5 a month, you can become a patron and join our Discord community, where we watch film together and chat daily. You also have early access to our episodes and a mini-cast that we do exclusively for Patreon members. Also, check out our new website at terrortalkpodcast.com. Follow along as we build it together. Most of all, thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Hello. Today on the show, we are putting another edition of our female psychopath series into play. Uh, And today, I entitled this episode Killer Crush. At least I think I did. (laughs) You never know when I edit together the show, I might change my mind. But the idea is Killer Crush. So we watched several films uh both of us we watched swim fan we watched the og fatal attraction we watched high tension which is a french film i know kathy watched the crush and so we wanted to talk about uh obsessive love the you know stalking is often a big part of this and it's certainly a big part of these movies (laughs) well at least three of them so we wanted to address that the psychology of that and where that's coming from and then but then also just in context for the films so yeah i mean i think you know obviously stalking like you and i were saying stalking um is just one component of this but i think that when we see obsessive love um you're going to have somebody who is essentially stalking and that could be through following them it could be looking them up it could be collecting things about them like we saw in swim fan um so stalking just to give a little definition here stalking is a behavior right it's not necessarily a mental illness it's defined as chronic nuisance uh, behavior by an offender that results in harmful and emotional effects on the victim so the lifetime prevalence of 12 to 16% of women are fall victims to this and 4 to 7% uh male men fall victim to this mm-hmm. and um you know there's a lot of different reasons why people engage in obsessive forms of love so it could be, be anything from someone who has more of a border borderline personality organization who's highly narcissistic could be someone who's sociopathic it could be somebody who's delusional or components of all of those um, some of the research will also show that like early attachment so someone's desire to own or pres- possess somebody in order to satisfy their own unmet needs mm-hmm. um, believing this to be love So I know we'll talk a little bit about love addiction and um, sex addiction in in a little while here, but, you know, likely rooted in some sort of disorganized or neglectful attachment. Um, Clearly the person doesn't have any clear boundaries or really sees the other person as a separate person. Mm -hmm. Um, And then oftentimes like we we saw in all of the movies that we watched for today is a a form of delusional Mm -hmm. jealousy. So this can cause the person to believe that, the other person has feelings for them, even if they've made it clear this isn't true. Yeah. And so we see that in all of these women um, and, and erotomania too, you know, the, the, this idea that someone important or famous um, is obsessed or in love with them. Um, there's so many different delusional disorders around obsessive love. And I think this is a really 
interesting. We, we saw a lot more of these made in the 80s and 90s. We don't see as many of them anymore. And I, I'm not sure if that's because we're trying to um, change the role of women in horror and in thrillers. But we certainly saw, you know, we've seen a lot of this and it certainly does exist from both ends. I mean, there are men who are also obsessive, uh, have obsessive love addictions and things Absolutely. like that, too. We just happen to be focusing on women today. Um, and then also some of the, ex- you know, um, sort of clinical controversial topics like sex addiction, where we know that um, a lot of narcissistic personalities will state that they have sex addiction, but is that really what's going on? So we'll talk about a little bit of, of this um, throughout the discussion today. Some things to just remember when we're talking about more of like the sociopathic personalities, and that could be somebody who has borderline personality disorder with sociopathic traits. So, Poor to no behavioral control, manipulative and cunning, grandiose sense of self, pathological lying, complete lack of remorse, deep-seated rage, lack of remorse, shallow emotions, incapacity for real love, and many of them are seduction addicts. We'll talk about that, too. So just a little little stuff there. Little stuff. In the context of these, I'm sure those things will come up in our discussion of these movies, Mm -hmm. as we like to. As you were talking, I was thinking... Uh, there's a series called You. Yeah. Where's a great series that is a, more of a representation of, um, you know, a, a male sociopath who ends up with obsessive love is sort of the way he executes that sociopathy, yeah. I would say. Yeah. That's his uh, drug of choice. Let's put it that way. Great series, though. Uh, but anyway, back to the ladies. I would like, let's start with the OG uh, in my mind of uh, the 1987 movie Fatal Attraction. For me, that's a movie that uh, introduced this idea. For to sure. Me, you know, and she's, and she's still terrified. Even when you watch it, oh she's my God. terrifying to this day. So I rewatched it for this because I hadn't watched it in a very long time. Mm-hmm. So it, I needed to rewatch it. I just, I didn't remember sort of how it, it played out. And so... For those of you who don't know, came out in um, 1987 uh, for Dan Gallagher, who is played by Michael Douglas, Life is Good. He's on the rise at his New York law firm, is happily married to his wife, Beth, who's Anna Archer. Nice to see her again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And has a loving daughter. But after a casual fling with a sultry book editor named Alex, who's played by Glenn Close, everything changes. Jilted by Dan, Alex becomes unstable, her behavior escalating from aggressive pursuit, certainly, to obsessive stalking. Dan realizes that his main problem is not hiding his affair, but rather saving himself and his family. Michael Douglas always, he, he got he, so many of these characters. He does where, this role. Well, yeah. and it was, it was always like, poor Michael. It's like, no, you're <laughs> fucking everybody and cheating on everyone. I don't feel sorry for you. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Here's what I see. I see a dude who cheated on his wife, mm-hmm. right? He got himself caught up in a situation where he spent a weekend, basically. And that's typically how it starts in many of these. Yeah, yeah. two night, two night, spent two nights with a beautiful, seemingly smart woman who presented as if she was a good time gal and would, you know, she definitely pre- presented and portrayed herself to him as someone who would be down basically mm-hmm. or like up for it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that it would be no problem. He, she really made, she really had that skill of providing that feeling of safety yeah. for him to 
have that affair. And they also, which I thought was executed really well, they they definitely made it hot. Mm-hmm. Like they were, it was like sex for 48 hours is how they portrayed it. Right. But like she took him out dancing. They went to meals. Like they just had this wild time. And I also think it's a portrayal of that idea of you make a mistake. He made a big, big, yeah. big mistake. And then not only would you pay for it with your partner in your world, if you have a monogamous relationship, because I want to make sure I say like, not everybody has the same rules right. in their relationship. Right. Some people don't observe monogamy as their standard in the relationship. So I'm not talking about that, but this was a relationship that was set up as monogamous mm-hmm. and he fucks that up. And then this is a metaphor really, but also happens in a, in some criminal cases when he has a family it's I not know. it's not like he has he's, a kid too you know not to minimize oh if he only had a partner but i mean he has a, he's a kid he's dad Absolutely. and ups and, the stakes for sure and i think there is something i think we oversimplify this a lot in films but um just how she knew how to you know, stroke his ego and oh make gosh. him feel so attractive and sexy and the best lace she's ever had. And, and I mean, what, what, I'm sorry guys, but what man doesn't want to feel that? I mean, most people, yeah, any, you know, yes, like anyone I, I, would want to feel that. I do. I guess I'm, I'm starting the conversation by setting that up because as a member of the audience, I think the film is effectively showing you that he is that he is, as as part of humanity it's like playing when you're when you get caught up in an ego stroke you know when you're really needing that or you're feeling insecure or you're wanting that or what have you and you want to be treated like that you can get very easily and quickly caught up in that but also she's <laughs> this performance was really famous for glenn close she's exceptional in this mm-hmm. like that first half of the movie where you know she very much seduces him and and it i mean seduction it's all about that other person mm-hmm. it's all about paying attention to him that's that sociopathy too yeah well yeah. then that's why they oftentimes go hand in hand they're so good at that you know what's so funny watch rewatching this when i that so we're still talking kind of about the first half of the movie which i think is probably the more important part but um I got really annoyed with her yeah. because for one, do you think it's because you're reasons, watching it differently now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that I got really, <laughs> it's often the small things really, <laughs> but I thought it was such a great like actor character choice or whoever decided to do this is that throughout that 48 hours in that original seduction where you're thinking they're just, they're having fun. It's not morally correct. He's cheating, et cetera, but you don't, get a lot of crazy from her you get you do get very aggressive she's very aggressively pursuing him but she hangs on him physically mm-hmm. and that bug the crap out of me yeah for whatever reason like drapes herself she does yeah. she she drapes herself um in bed she they go out dancing and they're coming home from the clubs and she's draped on him like it felt so I might react claustrophobically. Mm-hmm. I was putting myself actually in Michael Douglas's shoes a little bit during that period because mm-hmm. I was like, 
she she's just always on me. Well, and I feel like this is um <laughs> this too is the maybe more borderline yes, side of her that's too. What I saw. Or, yeah, is, is like the all or not like she it, it, she really was obsessed with him. Um yeah. Yeah. They have sex like two or three times and then she's like, "Let's go dancing." And then they go dancing. Mm-hmm. And he's just having a fun, you know, he's like in it for the adventure and the ego stroke and the the secrets, you know, all the things that cheating gives you. But like, man. Yeah. Anyway, that really bugged me. I wanted to mention it. And I also just want to say, because I imagine maybe we could talk a little bit more about the stalker part of it. But <laughs> the bunny. Oh, I got I, I mean, this is the famous scene. This is the this, anytime fatal attraction comes up. This is the one scene everybody remembers yeah, talking about the bunny. So. For me, this time watching it, the only, the one the reason why I brought it up is I wanted to mention that it's so effective today mm-hmm. because you know what's going to happen, and even when you watched it the first time, you know what's going to happen because yeah. the way I just was noticing the way they edited it, and they edited it together with the kid looking for her bunny outside, mm-hmm. and the mom discovering what has happened to the bunny, but even now because I hadn't seen it in so long, there's this like wide pan, they show the kitchen and the pot boiling and she comes home and I was like, oh God. Yeah, no, it's- It's it's, that scene. No, it's bad. (laughs) It's bad. Here's, I just want to throw this in there too. Um, And this is maybe just more from like a forensic standpoint. So, you know, when he goes to the police to apply for the restraining order and they don't, they're basically saying, you know, we can't really do much. Mm -hmm. Um when we're looking at like stalking laws and things like that, it literally takes, this is what's really messed up. Oftentimes the stalking law and someone actually being protected doesn't happen until the victim's dead. Mm -hmm. It's really hard if you make a complaint or, or um, there's a lot of victim shaming or blaming around restraining orders and, um, just, you know, I want to report a stalker kind of thing. Yeah. The amount of steps that need to happen before the police can actually say, well, now we can intervene. That person's like already lost a limb. Absolutely. And I really felt for Michael Douglas in this movie yeah. because of that. I didn't have the like, he's a cheater reaction. I felt like not I, in this one. No. no, I feel like people may mis- make mistakes. And yeah. so he obviously made a huge mistake. Um, you don't have to pay for that with your life, in my opinion. But like, it's like, that was 1987. Right. We're still dealing with that. Obviously they're now stalking laws, but they're still not, but great. they're still not. I feel like this scenario would still be the scenario. Um, they might take your report more readily, whereas in this movie, he's bas- he's totally SOL. Well, until- they're basically basically telling him too, like, "Hey, you fucked up. You have to deal with this." Exactly, like, yeah. "Oh, you cheated. You should like deal with a stalker and die." Mm-hmm. No, right? I'm sorry, no, right? That's not. It's not. That's not. That's not cool. Yeah. Or fair. Like we can, we can school you later, but we don't need you to die yeah, over Like it. you're going to pay for that in your marriage. <laughs> yes. If those, if that's the rules of your marriage and that's yeah. what you've decided are, are like the rules of your, you know, union, then you're going to pay for that. You right. might lose your marriage and that would be an appropriate reaction. Right. <laughs> or having to go to couples counseling for five years, which yeah. some people would say is a, is an appropriate punishment, but like, 
Fuck oh, right. God, it's terrible. No, but I, I um, go on with what you're saying. Yeah, no, I mean, I just think that like even today uh, we see this and it's really quite scary. Like when you call and make a complaint that you feel like your safety's in jeopardy. Yeah. These horror movies, that's one thing where they're not fabricating. I mean, it really takes a lot for somebody to say, well, we can actually do something now. Um, and, and this so, might have been one of the first movies that sort of like uh, addressed char- that, yeah. yeah, characterized that, and yeah. sort of showed that that was that's. And some people may have watched this movie and and not because there's a cop that's kind of the laissez-faire cop that's yeah. like, I don't know, dude. Uh, people might have watched it and may watch it now. Like, oh, well, that wouldn't happen. That's not realistic. Yeah, it totally would. But it totally is. And I think another thing too, just to. Um, once her mask drops, oh my God. it's fast. Ooh, it's fast. Oh, <clears throat> so the one the one more thing I would mention about this movie, just from a movie standpoint, is when she's... So one of the things we always see in these movies is the interjecting of herself as a threat. So there's this point where it's all pursue, 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 and then your victim, this is always what happens, the victim doesn't act accordingly. There's no winning, by the way. They can set up whatever rules they want for you. Like as long as you treat, she says, she says, as long as you treat me fairly, I'll treat you fairly. Or as long Mm. as you answer my phone calls at work, I won't have to go towards your family and call you at home at two in the morning. But that's garbage. It, 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 no matter what he had done, she it would have escalated to this point. Oh yeah, eventually. And I just want to you know Absolutely. say that because she does try to. She makes it seem people, not just her, but this kind of personality makes it seem like they're bargaining with you and that you have done something wrong, and that's why they. That's how they justify their behavior. And so when she starts to interject herself, she like shows up and meets the wife, and she calls the house at two in the morning, and she starts to say things like you know, hey, you're ignoring me hey, you know hey hey you're ignoring me she's laughing at me because you're like Hi. she comes up and she's like hey you're ignoring me i think it was a little bit harsher than that i know i was making a joke yeah. but um that's always happening and happens in swim fan happens in all yeah. the movies we're going to talk like about. i'm gonna make you pay for ignoring me right and 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 you see how that's a catch twenty two, and it's a gaslight, and that's also the delusional jealousy exactly. we were talking about. Exactly, yeah. and the other and the person, and she, so he plays along for the first half of the movie. That's like exactly how these kinds of movies play out: is that he plays along because he thinks if I just do that, this is what terrorism is. If I just do the right things, this is interpersonal terrorism. Then I will get out of this unscathed. And that's what an interpersonal terrorist does is they set up like, hey, if you, you know, quid pro quo, if you do this, I'll do that. Da, da, da. And it's always garbage. And I just want our audience to know that, damn it. Yeah. Um, but also when he ultimately shows up at her place, he's so angry and shows up at her place and like tries to kill her. <laughs> that scene where he's leaving, they decide to like stop trying mm-hmm. to kill each other in that moment like balls out like violence in her apartment against each other and he decides to put the knife down and walk out and then there's this long shot of her with this creepy smile and you know what i thought in that moment is that what i read into that is that she was saying to him i'm just glad you showed up like I really felt there's a lot of things to oh, interpret. Yeah. There's yes. a lot of things no, to interpret in her right, face though. because she's so amazing. Yeah. And I was in my mind, I was going three or four different like reads of what that smile was. But for me, 
see, this is why watching this movie was different for me this time. Because now, with my sort of funda knowledge of personality, I was like, she is smiling because she's actually feeling the joy yeah. of him showing up to try to kill her because that's him showing up for her. And love. And I was like, yeah. that yeah. is yes. freaking brilliant, Glenn Close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, And that would be accurate to yeah. this psychologically speaking so this yeah profile, i know i was like this is brilliant that would be totally i would never accurate. have known that before i mean glenn come on amazing yeah so no it was, that's great yeah anywho if that's all we have on fatal attraction we could i don't know we want to talk about the crush or well i was going to talk about the crush and embed that into swim fan because they're okay. similar great both both so both. Uh, um, let me read little i'll uh let me just give a little bit of thought on swim fan because, yeah go ahead um so swim fan is sometimes like uh, talked about as a fatal attraction ripoff <laughs> it definitely follows the same kinds of stories although i would say it's not as good no um and, and younger that, they're younger yeah it's so it's it's fatal attraction in high school basically and it's pretty predictable and pretty mediocre but that aside it is in this vein so ben cronin has it all the admiration of his many friends a terrific girlfriend and he's on the fast track to an athletic scholarship so by the way michael douglas and fatal attraction is like a lawyer he's really successful so it's a similar deal ben's rock solid promising future and romance are turned upside down with the arrival of madison bell who's played by erica christensen Madison, the new girl in town, quickly sets her sights on the impressionable Ben. While their first few meetings are innocent enough, the obsessive and seductive Madison wants more, much, much more. <laughs> Mystery thriller, obviously. Yeah. I like Jesse Bradford. I miss him. I liked oh, him and stuff. Oh, is he the stuff. main guy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, he was, um, what was the cheerleader movie with Kirsten Dunn? He's in that too. Sure. And then The Crush uh, is the one with, uh, Alicia Carrie Silverstone, Els, Carrie yeah. Elways, Elways, and um, Alicia Silverstone. Alicia Silverstone. So, yeah. writer Nick Elliott moves to a new city for a magazine job and rents a room in the house of Cliff and Liv Forrester, whose fourteen-year-old daughter, Alicia Silverstone, instantly makes her attraction to Nick very clear. And you know, hilarity ensues. No bad things. Happen. But both of these <laughs> movies, I think it's that coming of age. Um, hypersexualized, you know, like using their sexuality for ma manipulation, feeling like yeah. that's really all of their worth and all they're valued for and where their power comes from. Both of them are complete sociopaths, yep. but um, both of them are seduction addicts. Both of them are narcissists and borderline. So, and, <laughs> and yeah. And so I, that's why I watched this too, because I feel like it's around the same, it's a little bit, yeah. Before Swim yep. Fan. In this one's band. 93. So this was before she she did Clueless in 95. So oh, okay. she did this first. Yeah. yeah. She's great. She's great. I'm assuming you prefer her in The Alicia Crush. Alicia Silverstone? Do you prefer The Crush over The Swim Fan just like movie-wise? Um, not necessarily. I just like Alicia Silverstone more. Yeah, as an um, actress. As sure. an actress. And I, I still like the stuff that she does now. And, I, and this is like like... This is like under the crush is like an underage girl with an older man. It's a Lolita story, basically, right. except she's yeah, she's she's the perpetrator. And swim fan is same aged. So yeah. that's a distinction, I think. That's but, right. Yeah. But also the um, you know, when we were doing this, I was thinking that Rebecca De Mornay movie that we 
watched um oh hand the rock's cradle yeah i was thinking that kind of yeah had a lot of the a little bit of flavors which we did in our uh, last female psychopath series episode yep. yeah um, but anyway what do you think going back and re-watching swim fan um i think i i feel as if when i originally watched it i was more entertained probably yeah than i was this time around this time around i I'm coming from one an older perspective too, just myself maturing and older and psychology and a lot more knowledge and also a lot more knowledge about films and having watched a lot more films and really kind of established what I like and what I don't and my mm-hmm. study on story. So it's uh it's pretty mediocre. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't know. I mean I watched it in one sitting. It's it's like a Potato chip movie. It, uh, watching Fatal Attraction still held up. And oh, yeah. Affected me because of the performances, but also because of the script. It's just really well done. I think with Swim Fan, though, which I thought the crush was different. Yeah. Swim Fan, um, there's zero character development. They're incredibly surfaced characters, as far as I'm concerned. Like, yep. agreed. Y- you don't, I mean, I don't, I didn't want Ben to die. No. Um, no. But I mean, I, he's a likable, probably because Jesse Bradford played him. If it would have been someone else, I don't know if I would have cared. Um, but there isn't a lot of depth to the characters so I'm not incredibly invested Mm -hmm. where in the crush I thought that they spent a lot of time developing her character her best friend's character and and you know a lot about Carrie Elways and even the woman that he works with who he ends up dating there's just a little bit more depth to them not incredible it's no fatal attraction either but I feel like the crush was a better movie it was better developed right yeah good i think they follow a similar story Mm -hmm. i guess they all follow a similar story where there's an obsession you can tell as an audience member it's a little bit off uh fatal attraction for me was like she seemed off from the start her aggressive like interpersonal attitude seemed really uh challenging like i kind of wanted to back up when she's talking like Mm -hmm. i I think i would back away swim fan uh i thought they did a pretty good job and erica did a pretty good job of really being innocuous or just like innocent you know like just like liking someone and realizing they have a girlfriend and being like oh okay and Mm -hmm. then well let's be friends i thought they did they played it much more casually Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what they did in the crush, but well, first of all, in the crush, she's 14, which right. is really interesting when you watch this because she does not look 14 when you watch this well, movie. No, um, she looks closer to 18. Mm-hmm. And so there's um, that childishness. And, you know, like the the opening scene of the movie, he almost hits her while she's rollerblading, <laughs> you know, and so they they play into Ugh. the fact that she which so this is also a very controversial thing, too, because, sure. you know, it implies that a 14 year old could know what she was doing enough and and that is he really the victim in this now when you watch the movie, he really doesn't try to seduce her. He really does try to um, in fact, she when she comes on pretty fast okay and he's like i need you okay this is weird i need you to get out of my room because he's running (laughs) he's running a room from her parents he's a writer and so right out and and this is where i do you know feel 
bad for I do too men because this guy really like his character is really like I this is not going to look good I really am not trying to do anything to you but you're putting me in a position that I easily could become a sex offender right now and not in a way that I'm even remotely thinking about it yeah and I think that that's what's what is um, palatable about this movie most of the time when they do these movies this guy's going to get hard over a 14 year old and yeah. I hate that yeah but in this movie he legitimately was like you're a child and yeah. I need you to leave my room I'm trying to get dressed this is totally inappropriate goodbye which is how a lot of men would react yes like you know of course there are times when we kind of get into a point like oh well men are just driven by their sexual impulse and all that but most of the men i know that's exactly like, how I'm, they would they I'm wouldn't sure actually be attracted to yeah. the 14 year old you it can was, tell he find like she's an attractive yeah, 14 year sexy, old I'm and, sure. and so if you do so here i'm gonna give you just this, not to digress too much you know that I've evaluated sex offenders. We do sexual interest screenings. It is actually normed. It is normal. Hear me out here <laughs> to be attracted to a teenager, mm -hmm. just attracted to meaning like that is a, that person's going to be an attractive adult. That doesn't mean that you're going to act on it. That doesn't mean that you're going to fantasize and rehearse and go after it and then be like, well, it's normal to be attractive. That is not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But if you look at sexual interest screenings, it is quite normal for an adult to look at someone in their teen years and go, that's an attractive human. So was there an, was there a part of him that found her attractive? Yes. Was there any inkling of him that wanted to act on it and nor didn't believe that it was inappropriate? Absolutely not. Right. Like he was not a criminal. There was no criminal psychology there. In no. other words, he wasn't he wasn't going to act, yeah he was not objectifying her right. he was not pretending to not be interested because it can go the other way too sure adult women can be attracted That's right. to 16 year old men number one uh the number one reason women are slapped with sex offenses is teacher student right and we've had a lot of stories over the years yeah. in the news about that so we see that very commonly no i'm glad it's not a digression i'm glad you added that yeah. <laughs> um High Tension. So High Tension is another movie uh, that I actually hadn't seen before. And I kind of came across it in in researching for that we were going to do this episode mm -hmm. or in kind of developing the female psychopath series that we've been working on and just coming up with ideas. And we kind of wanted to do this sort of obsessive love killer crush thing. So high tension, which is actually called switchblade romance as well, mm -hmm. depending on where you look at it. Uh, 2005, uh, a beautiful young French woman, Alex travels out to the country to visit her family and brings along her friend, Marie. Soon after they get settled in the secluded home, Alex's parents are brutally attacked by a psychotic truck driver who proceeds to stalk the two women as well. When the killer kidnaps Alex and his truck, Marie hides in the back to try and rescue her. her um, but the bloodshed is far from over. So I would say uh, trigger warning with like gore and yeah. graphic, graphic bloody killings uh, and ter being terrorized as a woman. There's definitely that. It's French. It's it's actually French Canadian. This film and um, what I would say though is it's worth a watch. I I I, I mean I there's some other terrorized 
women movies that I like better than this, mm-hmm. but I would say it's a solid entry into that because there are some unique qualities to this mm-hmm. that you have to watch the whole movie to sort of know about. Um, but I would say like, there's a lot of, it's got a gritty film quality as well, <laughs> like some European movies. So it gives it like a realism. Yeah. Yeah. And her character too, you know, there's a huge twist in this movie, but her character is, is not just like hysterical and crazy. No. She's pretty strong and intense. Absolutely. The main character, Marie mm-hmm. and um, I mean, uh, yeah, Marie and then Alex, uh, they, you know, they set up their friendship in the car, kind of on the drive there. And so you do get a sense of their rapport and how uh, Marie is kind of the pessimistic, kind of darker, more break the rules kind of person, et cetera. And they get there. And, and I mean, it gets into it pretty mm-hmm. fast. It gets into it. Mm-hmm. And, and as a, you know, twist and story and all of that aside, like as a straight, a, a straight slasher. Mm hmm. Is one of the reasons why I wanted to include it because it's unique in that way. Anytime you have a Achilles slashing, mm, I know they it have that brutal. in. The, I think it's the House of Wax does that too. That anytime I see an Achilles get slashed in a horror <laughs> it's film, bad. It's I'm really bad. automatically weak. Like I can't <laughs> talk for like a good hour because that is. Imagine that that shit just moves and you are immobile and the pain and you know those injuries take forever. They really never get to back he- to. Mm, it's God. one of those muscles that. That's almost move. worse than me watching somebody's eye get poked out. Something about that Achilles slash. It's literally your Achilles heel. Oh. See, that's why I'm it's called thinking the Achilles about heel. It makes my legs hurt. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Okay. So, what did you? What's your thought about this movie? Well, I mean, you know, I remember when this when this came out, it was somewhat remarkable in the sense that. You know, it was probably one of the first, um, you know, obsessive love thriller slashers that involved a same-sex couple. Yeah, it was great. So I thought that was cool. And I remember watching it going, well, this will be interesting because I've never never seen like a same-sex couple in this dynamic on the screen before. Yeah, this is 2005, so yeah. this is quite a while ago. Yeah, and and if if it is done like this, it's done in like a Dario Argento movie <laughs> where they're like totally exploiting the lesbian. It's really about um, the threesome. As yeah, it, to- yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this was so... I think that um, for in that way, it was remarkable because it was... That was very new for its time. Mm-hmm. I thought the performances were good. Me too. I thought the twist in it was good. I, mm-hmm. I just remember like, you know, you're really on edge when you're watching it. The second you know, you kind of get a feeling of, okay, this is happening. Yeah. Um, and then it just gets really brutal really fast. I like the sort of Jason-esque character yeah. in it. Uh, just brutal, animalistic murder. Yeah. Murder. Murder. Yeah. Uh, so as a horror fan and as a slasher fan, there's that as well. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and then even toward all the way to the end, you have the, you know, sort of, again, that smile and manipulation and all of that. So the underpinnings of that. Yeah. Successful. Mm-hmm. So is there anything else we want to talk about with obsessive love or stalking or have you had experiences in your practice or world that I had uh I had patients who were stalkers mm-hmm. um one who was a female actually and she was um 
obsessed with a radio show host who was also a female. And she was, this patient in particular was found not guilty by reason of insanity. So she would hear voices that would tell her to write into this woman and send her things. And so it wasn't as like, I guess it was erotomanic in the sense that um, I'm not sure how much she was in romantic love with her, but she certainly had a a fondness. Yeah, I think I think it's a separate, you know, we could do an episode, but this wouldn't be part of like a female psychopath series, generally speaking, but we couldn't could just do a, a both gender uh type of discussion on celebrity stalking. Yeah. That's a very and specific kind of thing. It is. I actually have a, my good friend who's going to Africa with me. She has a, um, one of her patients on her, she's a forensic psychologist as well. And one of her patients is, um, someone who stalked a celebrity for quite a while. And so really interesting to sit with these people. And many of, many of these stalkers, um, are much more of like, the chronically mentally ill were looking more at like schizophrenia or schizoaffective with like delusional components. They're not, I mean, they, they're inherently dangerous because of the command delusions or command auditory hallucinations that cause them to intensely pursue. But then you have others who are just much more dangerous and sociopathic and delusional and erotomanic. So it's really, it's quite a continuum, you know, are we dealing with mental illness or are we dealing with a mental disorder? Um, and the ones that, that we typically have treated because we were working in more conditional release and people who were found not guilty by reason of insanity were like my patient in particular was, was mentally ill Mm -hmm. and um, had a psychotic disorder. Yeah. I would say there's circumstances within the high tension movie, certainly that would be in line with that. Not a celebrity stalker, obviously, but, um, but delusional hallucinatory, blah, blah, blah. You know, like that is um, felt in that movie in spots and certainly personality disorders are represented in the other films that we, that we talked about. I would say that my, the most, the most, I think the the thing that comes to mind for me when I think about uh, obsessive or um, obsessive love or sex and love addiction, which you know, these movies are portraying that at a heightened, violent, uh, terrible level. So that's what movies do, right? They take us all the way to the worst case scenario. But what I have found much more common in regular old mental health work is that when I've worked in addiction treatment, it's often a co-occurring treatment factor. Mm -hmm. So many, many, many of the people that I have uh, talked with, sat with, tried to help and support who are struggling with addiction, have a co-occurring sex and love addiction mm-hmm. that certainly gets very, very intense with once they get sober from whatever uh, f- drug they are using, whether mm-hmm. it's heroin or uppers or whatever, mm-hmm. or alcohol. So like they'll get sober from that. And then the, the sex and love addiction just really play, like really comes on hard. Mm-hmm. And so they start uh, meeting people at meetings and like a cross addiction in a way. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're not just talking about, it's very common for newly minted sober people to 
uh, hook up and try to manage their feelings with relationship because you're going to get high from meeting someone new or having sex, et cetera. I'm not talking about that because that is actually kind of like the, you, to use your word from earlier, that's normed. Mm-hmm. Like if we were doing testing, I imagine that's normed somewhere mm-hmm. that, I mean, that's why AA tells you not to have a new relationship the first year is because it's super, super common. And I'm very empathetic to that because that newness of a person is, is high, but I'm more talking about the ones who, will use it emotionally violently for, you know, they, they, they've been doing it as an addict using, and they will continue to do it as a, as a sober right. addict uh, for many years to come. And so <clears throat> we would recommend they obviously uh, work with that in their, in their therapy, but, and go to slaw what's called slaw meeting sex and love addiction anonymous s l a a just like a a or any of the other mm-hmm. a's um and go to both meetings like go to your drug of choice meetings but also go to slaw meetings because not all 12 step programs are the same you really do have to work independently on each issue so i'll just throw this this is um you know this is a controversial issue because there's a lot of uh, um, mo- modern theory, which I could go to town on my issues with and not that, I mean, I'm all about this being an evolving science, but I also have some issues around, um, you know, there, there are people who don't believe that sex addiction is real. It's sexual compulsion and we shouldn't be pathologizing it and yada, yada, yada. Um, Here's my thing, and I've gotten to, into debates with clinicians about this um, who side in, you know, they, they assume that um, if we're so, talking about sex addiction, that we are not being sex positive. And I think that that it could not be more untrue. And the reason I bring this up is because I worked with violent offenders and sexual predators for long enough to know that if we deduce something down to just a compulsion, meaning that there really isn't anything inherently long-term dangerous, it causes distress, but unlike an addiction that could be inherently dangerous, then we are making potential excuses for people who might be more sociopathic, narcissistic, um, or outright a rehearsal for sex offending. And I I understand, listen, I am totally fine with my name being blown up. If people want to hear me talk about this and disagree, but until you have sat with a sex offender, with a sex addiction, um, I think we just, there's, there's things in there that, and I'm totally open for people writing in and asking questions and debating with me, but this has become a really big topic in mental health where we're no longer, talking about it in that way and we're saying no it's compulsion and these people can be helped and yes there are people i absolutely believe that there are people who fall in that that certainly can be and i also am somebody who can seriously say that if we can if we can remove the stigma of certain um uh, you know attractions and help somebody before they commit an offense I'm totally open for that as well. And I think we do have to be more open about letting people come in and talking, talk about those things without pathologizing them so they can get the help. But when we make a blanket statement that sex addiction is not a thing, that's a slippery slope. 
Absolutely. I mean, I just in, in listening to you, I'm reflecting and thinking about our culture at large. And I'm just sort of, you know, like many of the things that we talk about, there's this a spectrum, you know, when we're when we talk about narcissism, mm-hmm. there isn't one kind of narcissist, right? Um, we're usually talking about rigid pathological type of types of narcissism, but there's a huge spectrum. And that's what I'm thinking, because I'm thinking, you know, our culture will sometimes you know, we see celebrities cheating on their partners and then going to sex addiction meetings and stuff like that. And you just don't know that person mm-hmm. for one. Mm-hmm. So you don't know if that's garbage and the way to save an image, mm-hmm. if they're really a sex addict or if they're in preparation to be a sex offender or have sex offended, mm-hmm. you know, speaking of Hollywood. So there's this like huge right. spectrum of behavior. Um, and I don't want to give anybody one. I don't want to give anybody a pass, right? If they're in a relationship, then they're not supposed to be cheating on someone in. But I also, and I also don't want sex addiction not to be treated seriously. Well, sure. And I think it can also gaslight the victim in that relationship, which is just hang out. This this guy's really. I'm using Absolutely. guy. It could be a woman too. Like he really does want to change and it's bullshit. How do you no, know? So, you, you know, it, know, it can be a rescue fantasy. And so, I don't know. I mean, I could do a whole show on my feelings about that and the patriarchal bullshit around that whole theory. But it, I, I just think it's dangerous when we say sex addiction isn't real. It's really just sexual sex compulsion. And we're pathologizing these people because they want to have sex. No, 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 no. That's not what's happening. Right. Um, so anyway, yeah. And there it is. There it is. That's where we're going to end. <laughs> Get me off the mic before I say something. <laughs> oh, that ship is sailed. I already said it. It's fine. That's good. It creates discussion. So that is our episode. Uh, I think this is what our fourth female psychopath series episode. I yeah. think it's the fourth. So this is killer crush, obsessive love. And I'm not sure what the next one is going to be. We'll come up with something. Thank you so much for listening to terror talk. My name is Shannon and I'm Kathy sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. Please check out our Patreon page, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We'd love to engage with you as part of our community. Please take a moment to leave us a comment on any of our social media. Thank you so much for listening. And once again, sleep safe.